The Start. On Demand. On Demand. It's Groundhog Day, or is it Bear Day? We'll speak to a Canadian history professor on the notion that what we know as Groundhog Day could have once upon a time been known as Bear Day. Canada is set to produce vaccines. Why did it take so long? We celebrate Black History Month with our friends at Zuike, a Winnipeg business that sells comfy clothes. Calgary has lowered its residential speed limit from 50 kilometers an hour to 40. And the products you didn't know you needed until you got them. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, February 2nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Normally we... Begin the show with music by Fozzie, which is Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho's band. But it's Tuesday, February 2nd, which means it's Groundhog Day. So we had to play Sonny and Cher. Oh, I feel like I need my alarm clock beside me just to roll over and smash it or something. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Imagine waking up to this song every day for 10,000 years. That's what the, some nerds on the internet have figured out, that he lived in that purgatory for 10,000 years. It, so Bill Murray day after day, how do they get to that how do they do that math? I don't know how they figured it out. I think based on all of the various skills he learned like how to carve ice sculptures with a chainsaw and how he learned to master the piano. I guess all these things he learned how to do, they figured it would take him X number of years to do it. <laughs> well, if you do the Malcolm Gladwell math, it's 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything. So if you count all the things he became an expert at, I guess you start getting some decent math, at least a foundation for how you're going to get there. I think it's 10,000 years. Jeff Braun could confirm later on, but sorry, go ahead, Loren. No, I was going to say, if you think about it, it's Groundhog Day today, and uh, that's what we've kind of been living for the past few months, and so we've all accomplished a lot, I think, or not, depending on how you look at it, but little projects here and there. I'm trying to find a positive, positive spin. It feels nice outside today. Oh, well, hey, speaking of positive, here's a prediction. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. You know, you want a prediction about the weather, you're asking the wrong film. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. All right, optimism. Okay. Wow, really setting the tone for Tuesday. So have we otherwise been, known as worse than Monday? Yeah, worse than Monday day. So have we been actually li- listening to the wrong animal, Brett McGarry? I, of all places, I'm looking at my Environment Canada app this morning, and there's I don't know how if it's the same for you guys if you have the app, but in the top right corner of my app, there's a little message box and it has a green light indicating there's some mail in there. I didn't even know, I've never noticed this, but I finally looked at that today and it it reads, we came so close to Bear Day. And so this is a special contribution from Alan McEachern, who is a professor of history at Western University. And he writes, it's, uh, you know what February 2nd means? Bear Day. Wait, what? <laughs> 
We should have been listening to Uncle Smokey this entire time. Well, late that <laughs> night, my stomach didn't feel right, and I knew that I had to go. Down the winding path through the little outhouse, about 60 yards or so. Everybody knows. While my knees were knocking, <laughs> but I just kept walking, and I made it to the place all right. But when I finished my chore and I opened the door, there was a shadow in the pale moonlight. Where did you find this? I didn't even have time to buckle my belt. <laughs> I remember this from when I was a kid. It was a bear. <laughs> Great, Great big mother of a bear. <laughs> Soon I was running through the trees with my pants around my knees and I never ever went back there. Oh boy, do I love bears. You can bet your life what I do. Ain't nothing anywhere like a big black bear long as he's a mile away from you. Oh boy, do I love bears. You can bet your life what I do. Ain't nothing anywhere like a big black bear long as he's a mile away from you. If you're, not, if you're not that's, smiling right now. That's catchy. That's going to stick. Well, that I'm, is going to stick today. I'll be like, nothing anyway. Okay. You're welcome. But we, the bear is our woodchuck? So, yeah, the, the story goes, when Europeans settled in North America, they brought with them the folklore that a, if a hibernating animal emerged on Candlemas Day... The 2nd of February, and saw its shadow, it would retreat into its den and winter would last four or six weeks longer. In 19th century Canada, our animal of choice became the bear, a famed hibernator. It was common across the country and its size made it easy to observe and worth observing. But in the United States, it was the groundhog, a.k.a. woodchuck, that took root. The term Groundhog Day appeared in the mid-1800s and by the end of the century was celebrated and if that is the correct term, as a grand day of portent, portent across that nation. So Canadians of the early 1900s were confused as to why some would associate the day with bears and others with groundhogs. And basically, it sort of became, you know, American uh, creeping cultural conformity. So The groundhog one? The groundhog uh, one. battle of the animals? Come on, we need to take this day back. <laughs> now, I know that this can be controversial in the media and in radio in particular, Yet another reason to support CanCon. <laughs> Canadian content, very important. <laughs> if, hey, we'd, if we'd had CanCon back in the 1800s, we'd be celebrating Bear Day today <laughs> instead of that Weasley woodchuck or some measly puppet telling us we, what's going to happen. Bring it back. I love you, Manitoba Merv, but I would rather have like Manitoba Mountain Bear tell us what's <laughs> happening today. Listen, Scott just texted to say the groundhog is also known as the mouse bear. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't make me feel better. But, well, okay, Come on, slightly, Day. slightly, slightly, slightly. Oh, I can tell you that Nova Scotia's most favorite famous groundhog is it Shubanakity. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, we had one of our listeners text it to I us remember, last week and phonetically, I, yeah. and I think Julie Buckingham has sent it to us <laughs> phon- phonetically, but I, I'll trust you to say it how, how you think it should go. I have no idea. I can't remember. So I'm going to go with Shubanakity Sam. Emerged from his pint sized barn this morning and apparently failed to see his shadow. And that's good news for winter-weary Canadians because according to the folklore, if the groundhog doesn't see his shadow, spring-like weather will soon Mm -hmm. arrive. We haven't even had winter yet, so... Barely. Mm -hmm. Barely, um, get it? Oh, look at that! (laughs) Look at you! Your pun radar is zeroed in. Pundar. <laughs> Pundar, yes. Uh, and just very quickly, we got to mention, oh, I should have pulled this. I meant to pull the clip from the Lonely Island boat uh, 
a song on a boat where he's talking about flippy floppies. I got my flippy floppies because we had a bit of a flippy floppy, Loren, at uh, the ledge. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if that's what our listeners would call this, because we just learned uh, last night in a statement from the premier's office that the chair of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority is being forced to step down after that travel to the United States for pleasure. It was, of course, the Free Press who reported last week that he had left for Arizona in January, where he said he was working remotely. We know we asked the Premier about this last week. The Free Press did, and he would only say he was disappointed but wouldn't be doling out any punishments or reprimand because he said this guy was a volunteer. It was a volunteer position, not a paid government position. Well, last night, here's the flip-flop. The statement says, due to concerns about COVID variants now emerging and in order to provide additional clarity regarding public health orders, all Manitoba government appointees, those serving on agencies, boards, commissions may not travel for leisure purposes effective immediately and if they do they will be terminated and so last night the chair of the wrha was asked to step down what a difference a few days makes mackling mcgarry and mcnab will our western cousins in alberta be trendsetters or on an island by themselves calgarians will have to slow down on residential streets starting this spring after city council there voted to reduce the unposted speed limit in residential neighborhoods, as Adam McVicker reports, the city decided on the change after foregoing a plebiscite on the issue. A spring slowdown coming to Calgary neighborhoods, something this Calgary mom has been calling for. The science says that it is best practice to reduce speed limits to help prevent injury and death. Um, so it seems like a no-brainer to me. An average of 9,100 crashes happen in Calgary neighbourhoods every year and 550 of those result in injury or worse. The driving force behind a city council decision on Monday to reduce the default speed limit on residential streets from 50 to 40 starting May 31st. So if you don't see a sign on a road, that means that the speed limit is 40 kilometres an hour. The change will only impact streets that primarily access homes and will not apply to collector roads. Those are streets that often have centre lines or bus routes on them. But councillors Chu, Meglioka, Demong and Farkas opposed. They wanted to bring the matter to a plebiscite. So while I'm opposed to the change, I really would have been much more comfortable for Calgarians to have their voice heard directly through a referendum. But we have done a ton of work to get to where we are, so I'm not in favour of a plebiscite. City Council also voting to start posting a speed limit of 50 kilometres per hour on collector roads in city neighbourhoods. The city says the change will result in $8.1 million in savings in societal costs, things like damage and time off work because of injuries. However, the change is expected to cost $2.3 million, a price tag that some say is worth it. Personally, I'd prefer 30, but I'm really glad to take this step in the right direction. Adam McVicker, Global News. Two things there. Kudos them for at least not going to the plebiscite, not making the people vote on something they elected the councillors to vote on in that city in the first place. So the plebiscite being pushed aside, that was thrown out here as a possibility a few weeks ago. That didn't happen in Calgary. That's fantastic. Secondly, if we're going to continue this debate here in Winnipeg, and I'm sure we're going to, Let's bring the data to the table. That's what I want to see. That's what stood out in that story for me. They had numbers on what it would save in terms of what they called societal impact. And also, if you go to that story, they had number on how just how many crashes could be reduced. So, you know, it might cut back between 90 and 450 residential collisions in Calgary in a year. If we can come up with that kind of data, you can make the case for it. I think more people will be willing to listen.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. An exciting day for me. I'm getting a new television delivered this afternoon. A 4K TV. And a significant upgrade from what I've had for 13 years. A 42-inch LG LCD is what I currently have. It was purchased in 2008. I actually didn't even buy it. It was my girlfriend who bought it at the time. So it was her TV. So then I had to go home to my, I think it was 36-inch, you know, tube television. But up until that point, I, for whatever reason, I was stubborn. I didn't want an HD TV. I, I didn't see what the fuss was about until we turned it on. When she hooked it up, I, I showed up. Her and her friend were putting it together. And we turned it on, and I thought, what have I been missing all <laughs> of this time? Why have I been so stubborn? Now i got to go home to my crappy TV? Ah! So, yeah, I I was in right from there and never, ever looked back. I wouldn't even watch stuff that was in standard def. If I came home and something was on in standard def, I'd pick up the remote and I'd put it on the HD channel and say, what are you doing? Why are you watching this in standard def? I get that way all the time in here. <laughs> when somebody puts on the standard definition, I come in here in the morning and standard definition on the TV here. I go, what's going on? It's HD. <laughs> Put on the HD. I know. So anyway, that just got me thinking about the products that we didn't know we needed until we got them. And uh, Greg, why don't we start with you? Because you pointed to something that uh, your your wife can no longer live without. Yeah, and Kristen uh, touches on it on in her text at 780-6868. For me, it was a CD player. I was an album guy. And so the first time I heard a CD at Majestic Electronics back in the day, Majestic. I thought, Majestic! Oh my goodness, this is incredible. In fact, the sales guy there, I won't give his name out, but he ended up being a boss of mine years and years later in sales. And he actually owns a restaurant in town. So um, connected forever to that individual via the OU812 Van Halen CD. But my wife says never again will she own a vehicle without heated seats and... And a heated steering wheel. Like, super luxurious, I would say, for the most part. But once you have it, you're not giving it back. Yeah, that makes sense. Whenever, like, uh, I had problems with my car, was it last year or the year before, where I kept having to take it in, and they would... So I ended up with four or five different loaner cars over a series of a couple of months, and some of them were way fancier than mine, so I wouldn't touch anything. I would touch just the bare-bones basic stuff. I wouldn't even turn on the stereo because I didn't want to get used to some luxury that I did not have. You couldn't just enjoy it for the time being. No, I was because I didn't want to. I didn't want to fire up those heated seats and go back to my car that does not have heated seats. Well, that's why they give you a new car when they give you the loan, or they're trying to sell you something, buddy. I know. Good on you for noticing. <laughs> just, just like Command Start, I cannot have a car without Command Start. My car didn't have Command Start, but uh, I ended up putting one in before I even drove it because just I, I need to have it. Yeah, once you get the Command Start, you can't go back. Jeff Braun, what about you? Um, you know what? I got a Fitbit at Christmas, and I, before that, I'd seen them, and my girlfriend had one, and I never thought much of it, but she got me one for Christmas, and I'm just loving this thing, and I, I get my 10,000 steps in every day, and it tracks my heart rate, engages my sleep, and all these little nifty things on it, and I'm, I've just become obsessed with this thing, and I'm afraid if I don't get my steps every day, it'll judge me harshly or something. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I don't know what happens. I, I'm afraid to find out, and weirdly enough, Enough, the thing I really like the most about it is that it, it's also a watch. <laughs> and I, oh. I haven't had a, worn a watch in 10 years, but now it's, this thing's on my wrist, and I was just like, 
hey, what time is it? Oh, I just got to turn my hand over, and there it is. <laughs> don't have to get my phone out of my pocket and hit the button. And what is this new fangled yeah. technology? So like, the time on again? my wrist. A time teller on my wrist? <laughs> <laughs> you sorcerer, you, Jeff Ron. Uh, Poitras, what about you? Uh, two words, fountain pen. <laughs> a fountain pen? Yes. I got one for Christmas for my brother, and I cannot imagine not having one of these anymore. Um, I've rejected the world of the ballpoint pen, the cheap, made-in-China <laughs> garbage, and I've finally <laughs> reached the apex of, of the pen world, and now I'm, I'm living the there. The apex of the pen yes, world. I got my Creveco Sport made in Germany, and I just bought a new one, a Pilot uh, from Japan, and you got to buy the ink, and you got to fill them up yourself, but it's so satisfying. And, uh, yeah, I, ballpoint pens are everything that's wrong in this world, so everybody should own <laughs> a fountain pen. You have What's something the cost your... of a fountain pen? It's oh, like $100, No, 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 they're, they're, there's a wide range. You can spend 100 bucks, but you can also spend 30 or you can spend 15 if you'd like. Wow. You've got yeah. something on your cheek there, Cam. <laughs> what is it? And it looks like ink, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I got my hands are covered in ink all the time, but it's worth it. I've always wanted to get a fountain pen. Every so often when I find myself in Staples, I end up walking by the cabinet with all the fancy pens, and I think that would be so nice. There's such have. a joy to write with. Like, you have no idea. Once you, like, start writing with these things, they're so smooth, and you're like, what the heck have I been using my whole life? I've been living <laughs> in this dream world of my whole life I've lived with ballpoint pens. They've been given to me, and I never knew any better because I never had a fountain pen. <laughs> Honestly, you're selling me on this. I'm like, I'm online right now checking out. The different- Here we <laughs> thought like- Cam was this curmudgeon, and at the end yes. of the day, all he wanted was a fountain pen. It's, it's yeah. all I needed in life. Loren- That's what's been holding him back. He's a poet. He's got all this writing within him, guys. He needs to get it out. What about you, McNabb? I have to agree with one of our listeners who said it's the, is it called the push start on the car so that you don't need to have the keys in the ignition? You just have the keys on your person or in the wallet Mm. or in your purse because I lose my keys all the time and I never really understood how awesome it was going to be until I hit another deer a couple years ago and then we got this car with the push start and I cannot believe how much it saved me because I'm forever patting my pockets and yelling out, has anyone seen my keys? And now I just don't take them out. Like I don't take them out of my pocket. I get in the car, car starts, magic happens, and I'm on my way. <laughs> That's, That's all fair. I needed. <laughs> but what if you, so because you never have to remove the keys from your purse or your pocket or whatever, then they're always there. Is that the implication? Well, my husband tried to create this system where I put the key on a key rack when I get back in the house. You can ask him if you want how that's going. <laughs> <laughs> they're in my pocket. They're going to stay there. That's where they go. Then so, I don't lose them. So text us at 204-780-6868. We have somebody saying a self-cleaning oven. I can't uh, live without that. Greg's saying it's not so much a product but a service, and that would be Spotify. Mm. I resisted for so long. Finally got it, and it's marvelous. All those wonderful songs, a tap away. This must mm. be how Columbus felt when he discovered <laughs> America. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the Prime Minister continues to tell Canadians the country will get the promised 4 million doses of Pfizer's vaccine by the end of March. Yeah, right now we're one of many countries at the mercy of foreign production. But later today, Justin Trudeau is expected to make an announcement that we will be producing COVID-19 vaccines right here at home. 
So officials say they've been in talks with front-running vaccine makers for months in hopes of persuading at least one of them to start making their vaccines here in Canada, which could help speed up this rollout. We do know a production facility in Montreal is also in the works, and now we're just waiting to hear which maker will be using it. Dr. Alan Berenstein is the head of the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, and he's also on the federal government's COVID-19 task force and joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Berenstein. Good morning feels like it took us quite some time to get to this announcement. What's your reaction hearing that we're finally going to have some homegrown production of this COVID-19 vaccine? Well, I think it's great news. Uh, you know, it's obvious we need domestic production of these vaccines. So we're not at the whim of, uh, of other countries or other producers elsewhere. Uh, and of course, every country wants these vaccines. Everybody wants these vaccines around the whole world. Uh, and so, you know, not all of us can be front of the line. That's a given, right? Uh, and so I think this is really uh, good news. I think there's lots of good news, actually. The other good news is that the three results announced uh, a week ago or so uh, from Novavax, one of the lead companies negotiating with uh, with the federal government, uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson or Janssen, um, and the third company, uh, uh, was the third one, I can't remember now, uh, all three of them uh, have really outstanding results uh, in clinical trials. So I think we're seeing really great results. Uh, so we now will potentially, once Health Canada approves all of them, have five different vaccines for Canadians. Dr. Bernstein, I know a lot of people are so frustrated with how long this is taking uh, to roll out and our dependence on a a foreign country or a manufacturer in a foreign country to get this vaccine to us. Is it reasonable that we should have expected that the federal government would have been covering their their backside on this and, and making sure that we had a production facility up and running if and when we were able to negotiate an agreement to, to have that vaccine uh, manufactured or at the very least uh, bottled and processed here? Well, we've been losing production facilities uh, for the last 25 years. It's really been, or more, it's been a reflection of the consolidation of the worldwide pharmaceutical industry um, and neglect by succeeding federal governments, not just uh, this current government. Uh, that's number one. Number two, you can't turn on a dime with these things. This is not like making a pair of shoes and start uh, turn, churning out uh, vaccines uh, by anybody. This is, these are complicated processes that uh, take sophisticated equipment, sophisticated, well-trained uh, staff uh, and, and vials and, you know, filling equipment and all that kind of stuff. So uh, this takes time. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is none of us uh, in the scientific community expected that we would have not just one, but five vaccines a year after this virus first it made its appearances on the planet. So uh, I think we've all been caught unawares everywhere. And now some countries are doing better than others, uh, you know, the UK most notably. On the other hand, they have, uh, you know, in-house domestic production facilities, so uh, pre-existing. So, you know, that's our lesson for next time, and there will be a next time. After H1N1, vaccine production was listed as a top priority, but never went anywhere. What happened? Well, yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's other priorities in a, in a country and memories are short, particularly uh, on the political side and, you know, people move on. Uh, and I expect that uh, if we got, if we'd been at the front of the line for these vaccines, I would have expect, I would predict that we would uh, have said, well, we don't need a vaccine production facility for the next time because we were, we got them fast uh, this time. So I, I think we have to make sure that we don't make the same mistake 
again. And we have to make sure that, therefore, the federal government uh, and other governments and, and uh, make sure that we have a domestic production facility that can churn out the 38 or 40 million doses uh, times two, because we need two doses for most vaccines uh, uh, for Canadians. And also, as a rich country, that we are supplying um, uh, the world market. Uh, it's, you know, it's part of the life sciences sector. You know, in Winnipeg, we have the National Microbiology Labs, which produced the vaccine for the Ebola virus, but we had nowhere to produce it in the country, so it had to be sent to the states. So we need to make sure that that's fixed. Dr. Alan Bernstein, the head of the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research. He's also on the federal government's COVID-19 task force, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Bernstein, thank you for the time, sir. Much appreciated. My pleasure. You know, the forecast for the weekend doesn't look all that great, but it might not be so bad. Well, we'll find out in a second here. He's not real. (laughs) But his predictions are apparently a very real indicator of how the next few weeks of winter are going to go. Yeah, and he's beloved by many. Of course, we're talking about Manitoba Merv. He first arrived in Manitoba in 1993. And while, of course, he's different from his counterparts across the globe, for starters, this is a puppet groundhog, Merv (laughs) is actually... His stats are good, guys. He's apparently pretty accurate when it comes to predicting whether we're in for more winter or less. And so we're joined now by Teresa, who's the special events coordinator at Oak Hammock Marsh. Good morning. Hello. Have we seen Merv this morning? What's he up to? Is he behaving we, himself? Yeah, we have seen Merv, and and he's got his mask on and everything. So um, this morning he went out, and he did not see his shadow. So that predicts an early spring, yes! which is good news for us. <laughs> See? We like it no matter who's giving us that answer. Is that, not, is that not fair to say, Greg? I think that's fair to say. And, Teresa, I was saying to Loren and Brett this morning, you know, over those live groundhogs that they shake and wake from their slumber to make these <laughs> predictions, at least Manitoba Merv has some human influence with regard to what decision he's going to make and whether or not he sees his shadow. So I think Merv uh, has a lot of credibility inside him. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he, you know, and we look forward to doing this each year um, to see what Merv is going to predict. So... So do you have any sort of stats or numbers uh, in terms of his accuracy, like uh, how accurate he is uh, over the years? Yeah, so um, I have a record that it's about 98% accurate. Wow. Come again? Yeah, 98%. Oh, that's impressive. See, Merv is where it's at. That puppy knows what he's talking about, or the hand in that puppet knows what he's talking about, I think. He so does, yeah. The good news is if people are looking forward to spring, spring's coming earlier. We only we have less winter ahead of us than more. I think that's that's key for people right now. And, and I'm curious, just with so many people just looking to kind of get through all this, how busy have things been out there? Are you, are you able to peek? Take people through Oak Hammock Marsh, Teresa, and what are you hearing from those who are getting yeah. outdoors more than ever before, perhaps? Well, so uh, our building is closed, but um, our trails are open, and so we are welcoming, you know, as many people as we can. We want people to explore wetlands, get out there, and enjoy them. We are also uh, right now offering uh, guide, or not guided, but snowshoe rentals, and so you can book that online with us. And we have also are doing some virtual presentations so you can learn more about wetlands. We have a birding hour in February and a scats and track 
uh, virtual program. So we definitely want people to come out and uh, um, and, and visit our wetlands. Well, I've been to, oh, sorry, uh, Brett, I was just going to say, I've been to Okamak Marsh uh, lots uh, myself, but for those that don't know where it is, where is it, uh, Teresa? So we're about 20 minutes north of the perimeter. You can either access us uh, through Highway 8 or Highway 7, and um, off of uh, 67, uh, Highway 67, so not very far at all. Teresa Visser, Special Events Coordinator at Oak Hammock Marsh. And I also see that it's not just Groundhog Day, it's World Wetlands Day. Yeah. Uh, you're mentioning the wetlands. So, uh, Teresa, thank you for the time, and uh, this is thanks for bringing us some great news today. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. And, uh, yeah, we and, of course, Ducks Unlimited Canada are very happy to support wetlands, and we hope that people will come out and, and embrace it. So thank you. All right, Teresa Visser joining us live on 680 CGOB. On this Groundhog Day, Manitoba Merv has made the call, and early spring is on its way. The question of the day at cjob.com is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question is, it's been a decent winter so far, Man- and Manitoba Merv says an early spring is coming. Would you like to see more winter? Your options are yes, with more snow, yes, and even colder. I'm okay with winter if temps stay like this, or no, bring on spring. And so far, we just put this up like five minutes ago. So far, 100, 100% voting for no, bring on spring. Aww. Yeah, I, 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 Lorena, I, I'm, I would put myself in the I'm okay with winter if temps stay like this, because I complain every year when winter arrives, and then I remember just how much I actually enjoy going out for a walk in the winter. And it's been nice this year not having to wear 17 layers. Yeah, the wet, the temperatures have been great. The only thing I would add, I, I could do this a little longer if we had a bit more snow as well, because some of those activities that we enjoy, the snow is looking a little rough out there. We had a couple yeah. dustings this week, but just a bit more snow, temperatures stay the same. And then when I say over, it needs to be over. <laughs> Mackling, where do you fall? <laughs> you know, I'm always in favor of spring, but uh, after my walk at Birds Hill on Sunday, I was reminded of how you don't have to worry about mosquitoes. You don't have to worry about wood ticks. You don't have to worry about bears. There's very things you need to worry about when you're walking in the woods in the wintertime and on a beautiful day. There's nothing quite like it. So we can have moderate temperatures and some snow for a couple, three, maybe four more weeks. I think I'm down with that. And we're going to talk to Environment Canada's David Phillips just after 9 o'clock to get a more detailed picture of what we can expect. This weekend's not going to be great, but what lies beyond that? We'll find out just after 9 o'clock. As mentioned yesterday, February is Black History Month. I had my BHM t-shirt on from Winnipeg Clothing Company's week yesterday. Greg, you mentioned you were looking for yours, but Mm. you couldn't find it. Did you ever find yours? Because you suspected Mm. that one of your spawn had absconded with it, but that wasn't the case. No, he was in fact listening at the time I made that allegation. (laughs) And uh, his lawyer very quickly, actually it was him, but uh, texted me immediately and said, Dad, I do wear that shirt, but I do not have it on today and some funky shorthand uh, that kids are using today. (laughs) So there's uh, going to be a t-shirt audit in our house over the next 24 hours. Uh, Drawers will be overturned and we will find that shirt because I know it is not in uh, the preferred location that I normally have it. Uh, So on this uh, second day of Black History Month, we thought we'd 
check in with our friends from Zuike. And so with uh, further, without further ado, we say uh, good morning to co-founder Ogo Okowumba. What? Ogo, I had it. Oko Okwabua. There we go. Good morning, Ogo. How are you doing, brother? Good, good, good. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. I practiced that 19 times before I brought you on air. I've only known you a decade, and I just don't know you as Ogo. So why don't we just uh, jump into the discussion this way. Uh, your campaign and, and the things that you do in Black History Month is, is one thing, and you have a special collection for this year. But what does Black History Month mean to you? Uh, it's, it's, it's a great month. I mean, it's just a, a great month to kind of celebrate um, all the different, uh, different inventions and, and contributions that, you know, uh, the, the black community has, has made to the world. Um, that's what's kind of really neat and, and enlightening as a, as a black man. Every year I learn something new, a little bit new about, you know, uh, an inventor or, you know, an, a social rights activist or, you know, just Something simple as someone in the community that's doing some great stuff. And, and I think it's just a great month that takes time to celebrate some of the, the, um, the, the good stuff that, uh, that we've contributed to the, to the world. So, I mean, it's just a great month. And, and you wish it wasn't just a month. It, just, it should be a normal, everyday, just normal thing that we talk about throughout the course of history. But uh, we definitely take the chance uh, during this month to celebrate it. Yeah, celebration is key this month and highlighting all the great accomplishments and people over the years, Ogo. But there's also just a look back of, of where we've come, how far we've come, how far we haven't come. And, you know, beyond the pandemic being one of the big stories of 2020, of course, the death of George Floyd and the ensuing Black Lives Matter movement was top of mind for many. And including that gigantic peaceful protest we saw outside the legislator, legislature last summer. And so I'm curious, you know, months later, what's your take about what we saw from that, maybe what we learned from that, what's come out from that? I think it was, I thought, I thought, I called it like the uh, uh, social awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you just started to realize that there was, I think the pandemic, as bad as it has been, is forced people to look at things in a little different, different, uh, at a different scope. And uh, the George Floyd was one of the toughest ones because it was so visual. There was no escaping it. You, you knew it wasn't right, whether uh, you knew George Floyd or didn't know George Floyd, like you just knew it was not a humane way to treat an individual. And I think the, the talk started to happen a lot more in terms of does this actually happen all the time? And sometimes if that's not your world or not your reality, you might think, oh, no, that's not real. Like this, this, this is why it happens or so on. You start to realize a little, you start to dig a little bit more and you start to realize, oh, you know what? There is some discrepancies, right? And, and now that people are at least acknowledging some of the discrepancies that are actually occurring, they're taking a little bit more time to, you know, discuss with other people and, and inquire a little bit more and, and start to realize, oh, you know what, I, I didn't realize this was the case. And, and you know what, I don't want to be on this side. I'd prefer to be on that side. And I want to help out. And I want to be in a society that is, is equal for all. Because it's not that they're asking for, you know, one person to have priority over another is just more of, hey, you know, treat me the same way you'd want to be treated and, uh, and the rest of society is treated. So, I mean, I, I've been calling it more of a social awakening where people are now discussing tough things and, uh, and it's great. And I've had great conversations with friends and I've had great conversations with customers. I, I mean, it's been, it's been pretty neat because uh, it's something that I know that growing up in South St. Patel, it's not something we would have talked about ever. Uh, and coming up and not sometimes even things I would even have realized coming up. So that's kind of what I, what the, the, you know, the, the new, I think the new age has been. And, and, I, and it's been great. There's been a lot of community 
outpour and outreach and, and people really stepping up and, and trying to do their best just to be just to be good people. And part of that social awakening, just from something that uh, we've noticed and some of our colleagues have noticed is, you know, the way that people are looking to educate themselves and their kids, you know, they're, they're reading books on Black Lives Matter and, and white privilege and they're buying their kids books with more diverse characters. So is that mm-hmm. kind of thing encouraging to you? That's wonderful. I mean, that's really because it's the society we live in. I mean, there is not really is, you know, I don't live in just a a black city. I don't live in, you know, just a white city. I mean, there's tons of diversity in our city and it's wonderful to celebrate it all. I mean, it's, 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 the more you kind of learn about it, the more you start to really enjoy all, all facets of life. And and I think that, uh, that is a, is a wonderful, wonderful piece. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, always enlightening and great for your kids. And I think our next generation of kids are already way more uh, enlightened than we are. And I think, you know, learning early always promotes that, that growth and development and understanding that, hey, we're, we're really close to, we're a lot, we're, we're, we're the same. Like, I mean, there's, there's not much difference where we're just human beings. You know, I was watching MSNBC, The Beat, with Ari, uh, uh, Ari Melber a few weeks ago, and on my screen is Michael Eric Dyson in one of your T-shirts. <laughs> I think it was his birthday, in fact. And so you got the shout-out on MSNBC. So uh, at the end of the day, this is, this is a, a cultural thing, but there's also some clothing behind uh, the message as well. And for those that don't know that have maybe not tuned in when we've had you on in the past, Ogo, what does Zueke mean? And tell us a little bit about uh, what inspired uh, this year's collection as it pertains to Black History Month. All right. Well, so Zueke, it means to relax. Um, and, and that's in our Igbo dialect. And um, it means to relax. So we, we, we cultivate and create and engineer comfortable clothing, stuff that you want to wear every day and, uh, unfortunately, we will find that T-shirt for you uh, some 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 way somehow. Make sure that we, we get your T-shirt back on you. But uh, you know, our, this year's collection is is based on becoming. I mean, off the off the book of uh, Michelle Obama, and uh, just kind of spraying light in terms of you can become whoever you want to be. Celebrating um, your part in history and how you're going to become whatever you choose to to become in a positive positive manner. So. Our limited edition T-shirt uh, this year actually highlights um, Nelson Mandela, uh, Fela Kuti, which is a Nigerian singer, um, Maya Angelou, and uh, a, a guy that I learned about actually more this year than any, Elijah McCoy. And uh, he was a Canadian uh, inventor uh, that actually invented the oil drip can. It has a lot to do with uh, and I thought that was pretty cool, thinking that I'm 40-something years old now and I'm still learning some some new stuff but uh we've got a long list of law of things that we're we're pushing and and um celebrating and we've actually tied our our cause this year is pretty cool that we've tied in with a, a charitable organization called can you and um also a financial institution by investors group with paul foost uh, and associates and they're going to be matching uh some of the profits from the collection of this year's collection and we'll be able to give out uh, scholarships uh, through can you uh, into the community this year so it's going to be pretty exciting and we're, we're pretty pumped where can we go for more info or for for if we oh, want to make a purchase you betcha so sorry i i should be no should don't apologize you know me i'm already on your website shopping yes. so go ahead oh, yeah. <laughs> but i'd rather so, you say it than me you betcha so you can go to zvk.com 
you can also follow us at Zwike, and uh, we also have a lot of information you'll, you'll see on our timeline. Also, we'll be um, highlighting many of the different um, individuals within our city uh, that are, you know, from uh, plumbers to electricians to socialites and uh, HR managers and, and uh, you name it uh, on our website, just that throughout Winnipeg that have contributed to, you know, black history. And, and it's just great to see all the different areas that uh, individuals are, are making a difference within our community. Ogo Okamabua, co-founder of Zwike, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ogo, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being a support always. It is February 2nd, which of course means it's Groundhog Day. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Would you rather have Bear Day or Groundhog Day? So we've all got our morning routines, and my routine ends up me sort of dragging my butt out of bed, and then I move to the couch, and I pull out my phone, and I start looking at Twitter, and I check Facebook, and I look at the weather forecast, and I open Environment Canada's app, and in the top right corner of the homepage on the app, there's a little inbox, and it says that I have mail. So I, I open this up, and the headline is, We Came So Close to Bear Day, and I thought, this, of all the places for me to find this information, Environment Canada, but I'll take it wherever I can get it because what is known as Groundhog Day, Loren, almost was Bear Day in Canada. Yeah, and when you sent that out this morning, I responded saying, sorry, who printed this? Because I thought it was one of those hoax that you find in The Youngin or something like that. But no, <laughs> this is a, a very real part of our history. And so to tell us more, we're joined by Alan McEachern, who's a history professor at Western University. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm familiar with the story of bears emerging from their den and hibernation and all the rest, but I did not know that the bear was sort of used much like the groundhog is today. Tell us about that. Take us back to when this first started. Sure. Uh, Well, in Europe, uh, it seems like they pretty much picked any hibernating animal that was nearby. So they took bears or foxes or marmots or whatever. That's where the tradition began. And when the tradition came over to Canada... For some reason, bear became our animal of choice. So all through the 1800s, that's what people talked about. They they looked for the bear on February 2nd. So, Alan, I get the feeling as though maybe we went away from the bear in terms of uh, the explanation that Brett provided, and I guess it was through your research. There was sort of this confusion. You know, the Americans are doing one thing, the Europeans are doing another, so we sort of fell victim, if you like, to what America was doing. But uh, in my mind, there's no way you're grabbing a bear by the scruff of the neck and pulling it out of its den and going, so what do you think? Six more <laughs> weeks of winter. Uh, to do it with a groundhog, a little bit of an easier proposition, does that play into this at all in any way, shape, or form? Is it a marketing thing? Absolutely. The groundhog is very convenient. Now, like I would say on favor of the bear, though, the bear is worth observing. Like You want to keep an eye on it. So... I'm surprised we didn't keep it up for that reason. But no, the groundhog is nice. You can carry it up to a podium and put it up to your ear and have it whisper to you in a way that you can't with a bear. So then the the bear was the the prominent figure that we were going with, and then this is just a case, as is with so many things in, in our country, where it's the American culture that just kind of creeped its way in? Absolutely. It's American imperialism at its worst. Uh, it, 
it seems like in Pennsylvania, Puxatawney Phil, of course, they, they took on the groundhog in the 19th century. That became their animal of choice. And then it went all over the U.S., and then it kind of started creeping up into Canada. And Canadians in the early 1900s, they were saying things like, it's Groundhog Day, I wonder if the bear will see its shadow, which <laughs> suggests a certain confusion to me. So there wasn't, was it also February 2nd? Like that didn't, the date has always been the same? Uh, it's just the animal that we chose along the way, Alan? Yep, it's always been February 2nd, because February 2nd is is that's the way it started out in Europe because it's actually the halfway point between uh, the first day of winter and the first day of spring. So it was time to kind of take stock to see if you've got half of your property left, your food left to get you through the winter. So it was a good day to take stock, and it's always been February 2nd. Uh, Alan, don't all of these things, aren't they born out of our need to explain the inexplicable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I really like about Groundhog Day is that, you know, we used to have so many ways of watching the weather, like there's so many folk traditions, but this is the one we've held on to because it's associated with a day. So it's like, it's a day to celebrate weather. And uh, it's it's really the only one that's kept on, or there's very few weather traditions that I think have kept on over the ages, But but it seems to be holding fast. Now, another thing that you referenced in this post that went up on Environment Canada's uh, app was that uh, when an animal emerged on, is it pronounced Candlemas Day? That's right. Okay, so what's the the story with that word? Well, boy, that's that's some religious history that I'm not really very up on, but it's it's also a religious holiday. So... uh, it was because it was also on February second, like a like a like a like a Saint's Day. Uh, that meant that it was easy to keep track of it in terms of uh, in terms of the winter being half over as well. So it started there as Candlemas Day. It's uh, as a religious holiday, and then it became this day that was kind of to take stock of your belongings, and then it became somehow <laughs> morphed into Groundhog Day. Before we let you go, Alan, I do have to ask, because I'm looking on your website and your biography, you've, you've looked into all sorts of things when it comes to the history of Canada and beyond. Did you ever imagine you'd be asked to, to be tasked with looking into the history of Groundhog Day? <laughs> well, I mean, it's been my blessing and curse to become the historian of Groundhog Day, <laughs> because every February 2nd, I get woken up to talk to radio stations about <laughs> Groundhog Day. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. If you see my shadow, it means six more weeks of winter or something. I've kind of lost track of it now. All right. Well, Alan McEachern joining us live on 680 CJOB, a history professor at Western University. Thank you so much for joining us, Alan. Much appreciated, sir. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess another reason why in 19th century Canada our animal of choice became the bear. It's just cause, uh, because it was so big, it was easy to spot like ah, you know, the, we we know that's something we should run away from. So mm. we can we can observe this from afar. Hey, Loren, did you see that bear on Main Street? I think it means uh, six more weeks of winter. I just when you take the bear a lot more seriously, like it's something yes. authoritative about that. The bear comes out and is like gives you a look. You see a shadow. You're like, got it, bear. Groundhog comes out. You're like, oh, groundhog. I mean. What are you anyway? What's your purpose in life? I just don't know. I've only seen a bear, honestly, I think once in the wild. And it was, I was, I can't remember which highway I was on, but it was on, it was crossing the street like a hundred yards up. It was, there was nowhere 
no way I was going to come anywhere near this bear just based on the speed at which it was crossing the street with its cubs. And uh, I knew it was going to disappear. But still, I guess the point I'm making is I still felt that twinge, like, oh, a bear. Like, that's kind of scary to see a bear. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I, I second your Thousand sentiment on authority. It's a bear. You see what it's it did to Leonardo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. That's the movie out of coworker say to me, is it violent, that movie? And I said, no, it's not at all. It's fine. Just the first couple of minutes. And she comes into work the next day. She's like, what is your definition of violent? <laughs> and I was like, what? I don't remember. Is it? And then I went and watched it again. I was like, ooh, there was a good, there was a good long drawn out bear fight. That <laughs> that's I, a good bear fight. Which was the whole point of the film. I think we should play the bear song again if we have it handy before we go to break. Oh, yeah. We, we I will grab that right now. There's also that opening scene where everyone slaughters each other. So, yeah. Yeah. No, the whole thing from start to finish was disturbing, and I chalked it up as PG. <laughs> All right, so on that note, oh, I, pardon me, one second, doing too many things at once here. Here we go. Well, late that night, my stomach didn't feel right, and I knew that I had to go. Down the winding path through the little outhouse, about 60 yards or so. While my knees were knocking, but I just kept walking, and I made it to the place all right. But when I finished my chore and I opened the door, there was a shadow in the pale moonlight. I didn't even have time to buckle my belt. It was a bear. What? Great big mother of a bear. <laughs> Soon I was running through the trees Great with my pants on my knees and I never ever went back there. Oh boy, do I love bears. You can bet your life what I do. Ain't nothing anywhere like a big black bear long as he's a mile away from you. Oh boy, do I love bears. You can bet your life what I do. Ain't nothing anywhere like a big black bear long as he's a mile away from you. Good old Uncle Smokey. La Poutine Week starts February 1st. So we've spoken to Sean before about events in the community like Winnipeg Beer Fest. Let's speak to him again about La Poutine Week. Sean Branson, good morning to you, sir. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Doing well, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. So you're here to discuss La Poutine Week, but and you've got four entries in this year's run. But before we get to that, uh, how did Fried Chicken Fest go for you guys? Fried Chicken Fest was wonderful. It was the busiest one yet. Uh, it's funny, these uh, special events are always uh, interesting because uh, Ultimately, we're a creative bunch in the food and beverage, and uh, you do these for things for fun. But, uh, you know, it's almost out of necessity that, uh, you know, we get these extra business with uh, these uh, these special events, and they really come, come up and help out a lot. Our, our sales were triple what they were last Christmas, last uh, Chicken Fest. Oh, that's obviously a substantial increase. Yeah. And in these times, Sean, you're not going to turn down the opportunity to get involved in something like that. Before we ask you about what you have up your sleep for La Poutine Week, how has the transition to uh, only takeout, only delivery, only curbside uh, pickup gone for you? Because I know there are a lot of restaurants in this community that never did as much as takeout when they were open normally and have done this 180-degree shift or, or turn with regard to how they conduct their business, and it's working out very nicely for them. It doesn't mean it's working out nicely for everyone. How's it working for you? 
Well, it's, it's a struggle because our restaurant is a dine-in restaurant or a patio restaurant. And right now, uh, with just doing curbside, uh, it, it's, been, it's been difficult. Uh, you know, we're pretty much just ramping things quite like down just to survive. Uh, we uh, did uh, Promenade at Home, which is restaurant-quality meals that are frozen that we deliver to people's homes that they can have uh, support local ingredients and uh, have at home. And we kind of did that during the first lockdown. We said, what are we going to do with all this food? Because we had two days' notice. So we started backpacking it, and we said, wait a second, we, people want this food. I mean, it's good. So it's been a challenge. Uh, we can't wait to reopen again, and, and not a lot of restaurants are going to survive through this, the smaller ones especially. No, and I guess it's a wait-and-see game, too, because it started off as weeks and then months, and now we're, you know, in all likelihood could potentially hit a year before we see much change, Sean. So, uh, you know, for some restaurants, I'm imagining they might be days away from making a very hard decision. Yeah, full full rent or or well, the government has helped with rent uh, and that sort of thing and, and labor. But it, you know, you still have utilities, you still have taxes, you have internet, you have phone, you have all these fixed costs and minimal revenue. It's hard, but we have these great special events that are certainly helping us. So we're able to bring back people, we're able to be creative, we're able to feed people because that's what we're ultimately here to do. Okay, so I'm just looking at the, your your social media. Uh, you've got four. Mm-hmm. entries on this year's La Poutine Week. So I, one of them is a breakfast theme. Why don't we start there? Because, it, you know, for yeah. most people, it's still kind of breakfast time. What's the breakfast theme poutine you've got? We have the Hash Hash Breakfast Poutine, uh, which is uh, we made our own chorizo sausage uh, with a white gravy. So it's kind of a sausage and gravy kind of thing with bacon bits, bothwell cheese, and then we wanted to put an egg on it. We have a sous vide uh, machine that kind of cooks eggs to, so they're cooked, fully cooked, but yet runny. The yolk is still runny. So we've added a sous vide egg on top of that one for that breakfast routine. And I have to is, ask. Sorry, yeah, Sean, I was that just one is, say. Uh, that one, so we have two chefs, our promenade uh, chef and our Fort Gibraltar chef, as well as myself and Connie. We all came up, each came up with one. So this is our, my Fort Gibraltar chef. Mm. It's your, so is it getting hard to come up with new ideas each year? I mean, I guess there's endless uh, <laughs> endless ways to go when it comes to poutine. Yeah. But on the other side, you also have people who say they just want the basics, right? They like the gravy. They like the curds. They like the French fries. They don't like all the extras. And so yeah. is it tough to kind of find that balance between imaginative but sticking with the flavors people like the most? Well, the we still have the regular poutine that's available, and we have that there more to see, you know, will people just order that just basically. But even on a regular basis for our curbside, we've been doing things like smashed tortier poutines, and we do a specialty poutine and then a regular one. And, and the specialty ones are, are, are the ones that are selling quite well. So people like different ingredients. Poutine is... Something that, you know, you remember with a powdered gravy and, and you know, and some little cheese on there and, fr- and frozen fries. But, I mean, it can be elevated uh, to a much higher taste with using local potatoes, dealing with the potatoes a certain way, making your homemade gravy that you can control with the sauces. So it's actually quite, quite tasty. You can make it elevate it quite a bit. Well, it, it, it's clear to me that Putin has uh, taken on a life of its own and it's become, you know, so much more than what you just outlined, Sean. And it's now, uh, it's sort of like the platform for chefs to to build upon and to share their brilliance and, and to display it. Tell me about when pigs fry. Yeah, so that's my wife's. Uh, she came up with the name first and the concept, and then we built on it. It's uh, it's bacon, pork belly, shredded ham, chucherons on, on garnish, green peas, smack dab, a white mustard, 
buffalo cheese curds and porridge of prairie adora yukon uh, like yellow potatoes that smack dab um wine mustard is yeah. incredible yeah the whole line is is oh great carly God. does a great job but that and you know it's it's a local mustard and uh you know just the mustard seeds in there that are nicely pickled it's just it's phenomenal well, Sean Branson, uh, I, I told you that I'm probably going to be ordering poutine from you today. Yeah. As it turns out, I don't think I'll be able to because I have a delivery coming. Uh, I'm getting a new TV today, so I don't know what time they're coming. Uh, so I won't be able to run out and pick this up. So I will, but I will be coming by on the weekend because I think I might actually have to try uh, more than just one. So maybe Friday and Saturday. But uh, Sean Branson, owner of Promenade Cafe and Wine at Provence and Taché for choices for la poutine week and uh thanks so much for joining us sean we appreciate this thank you great to hear from you there's also one loren with beets in it Ooh, i don't oh interesting Hemp every time i see something I, I start to think oh i don't know about that but then you know it's going to be good and i do love beets yeah. I, and, and i do love i'm now i've i've now done gone down the poutine meme routine as well as you know i like to do so i just wanted to share with you that the restaurant in my house has been closed for renovations they're just doing some poutine maintenance <laughs> no no on. very good i was wondering where you were going with that uh, i hope you curd that uh, i curd it <laughs> I heard it. That one was that one was mine, but I was like, "That's not good enough. I can do better." So now I've just stolen it right off the internet. So <laughs> pretty good. But I was going to point out to you. See, I was I I was focused on something. You took me a different way. I was going to say if you take a look at all these recipes for poutine, none of them have celery, Loren. And I think you should uh, take note of that. No, no, none of them will. None of them will. Well, you made that. Somebody make take my take challenge, challenge accepted. Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. You can taste that one. <laughs> What's wrong with celery? It's good for you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.